I think that uh, that's all the official announcements and it should be a lovely meeting tonight and I have very great pleasure in welcoming Carol who is uh, from the western area of New South Wales who's going to chair the meeting for us tonight. Thank you. I'm even taller than Margaret. Hello everybody, my name is Carol and I'm a happy and grateful member of Al-Anon and I'm a member of the Fairfield Al-Anon family group which is in the Sydney metropolitan area and it meets on a Monday night at 8pm. I'm both honoured and humbled to be asked to chair this meeting tonight and in the spirit of the theme of this national convention I'd ask you all to join in tonight in sharing serenity worldwide and with that I'd like to call our first speaker who is truly from overseas. We had a little bit of trouble with Alan on speakers getting a number from overseas but this person is where it all began and it's Nancy from Listen and Learn in USA. I'm Nancy and I'm from Sheridan, Wyoming. And I'm quite nervous, so please bear with me. I want to begin by thanking you all for the uh, most gracious hospitality you've shown us here. Uh, we've been here in Australia now since Tuesday. We arrived in Brisbane then, and since then we've been, been met so beautifully and taken in and welcomed that it's, it's truly a wonderful experience. And if any of you ever come to Sheridan, Wyoming, and if you don't know where that is, it's on the Mon close to the Montana border, which is south of right bordering onto Canada, please give us a call. We have a AA Al-Anon combined um, number, and uh, just ask for Skeeter probably would be the best one to ask for. That's my husband, and he's very, very well known. <laughs> Or you can ask for me too, but he's probably maybe a little better known, however, and I'm sure you'll find us. We're not that large of a, a town, and we'd love to have you come and stay with us and share with us there. Our Al-Anon group is the uh, Listen and Learn Al-Anon group. We meet on Friday evenings at 7.30. We're a new group. Uh, we just started, oh, maybe two, three months ago, and we have an average of six Al-Anon members, sometimes two, but we may be at the most six, possibly eight, if we really have a good-sized group, good turnout. Um, so we are small, but we do have Al-Anon and other groups, you know, other nights of the week also. I've been in Al-Anon now for about eight and a half years, and I started down in um, Colorado in a small mountain community there. Um, I started when my husband was, uh, just came into AA for the first time. I had been aware of Al-Anon for about six months prior to that, but at that time I was just did not have the courage to go to Al-Anon. I wanted it very badly, knew I needed it, but I just didn't have the courage to go. I made a few phone contacts, but that's as far as I, I got at that time. Then when my husband joined AA, um, I went to Al-Anon and I remember going to my first meeting it was such a, a pleasure a joy to see other people there that I knew 
our neighbors were there, the people down the hill were there, and um, it, you know, it was good to know that we weren't the only ones that were involved in this and affected by this disease of alcoholism. Our lives were pretty uh, chaotic at that time. Uh, alcoholism was very bad at our home. I think it was, except for the time shortly before sobriety came into our home, I think it was the worst time that we had. The drinking was very, very bad. Uh, um, some very, very bad times, you know, were experienced at that time. It was during this period of, of very bad drinking with the blackouts, um, very psychotic behavior on one inc- occasion that I can remember, and I had never seen it that before in my husband, that um, I, I came to realize that there was a, there was a God who was, um, that he hadn't forsaken us or me at that time and that I, he was there. We were, were in a very crisis situation and I was very frightened and needed help badly. It was a life-threatening situation and I remember very well, uh, you know, trying to pray to a God for help and not hearing any answers. I didn't think at that time, and it was a very, very frightening, frightening feeling not to not to feel any communication with a, a higher power, which I, has always been God to me. And um, it was the next day, the day after, um, whichever, but it was, you know, immediately thereafter that... Um, I remember I was scouring out the bathtub and I thought, hey, you know, I'm alive. I'm here today. I wouldn't be if, you know, if there hadn't been a God up there who had taken care of me because it was that bad at that particular time. And um, from then on, I've, you know, I have had this faith in a higher power. Um, I have sometimes had difficulties in, in, you know, maybe relying on my God like I would like to, but I do know he's there. He has taken care of me. He's taken care of my spouse, my our children, and, you know, I know we wouldn't be here today if it wasn't, you know, for our higher power. And this through the program, I, you know, not only for me, but I know for my spouse, too, is, you know, it's worked miracles for both of us in individually and you know in our home there's a great difference in our home today because of you know of the program um, one thing I've been thinking about all day is one of the first words I heard this morning was love and I think this is a very um, important thing in the program the love and the fellowship and I know we've felt it being here at this convention and I was thinking back to when I even Oh, when I was very new in Al-Anon, I, calling people uh, AA Al-Anon in a crisis, and um, you know their willingness to help you and the extremes that they would go to. Um, it, I I was very surprised that these people were willing to take their day, their time, and you know help me if I needed it. And um, this was shown me again later on when I finally did have to leave my spouse again. Um, this was right at the end of his drinking, and things were very, very bad. And I did have to leave, and I was very frightened. Um, more frightened I've ever been in my entire life, I believe, and I needed help badly. 
and to call AA people and, you know, they leave their jobs and they take you. It was, you know, I needed to get to an airport. It was, you know, over 100 miles away. They take you. They they find other people in the program. They put us up for the night. And, you know, this to me is beautiful. I I, um, I will forever be grateful to that and, uh, you know, hope that someday I can, you know, repay those same type of things because I... This is the love that you have in the program, and um, I've um, there's still I think for me it's um, I know for me I'm it's taken me many years to um, to become aware of a lot of things in in me that I've heard you know through the years uh, uh, in the beginning of. Um, sobriety in our home when I was going to Al-Anon I still hadn't been in Al-Anon too long then probably about a year and um, um, there was a lot of things I couldn't identify in me that uh, I would hear at meetings people talk about and through the years I'm finally becoming aware of a lot of these things in me so um, I think we all grow at our own pace when apparently God must think we're we're ready to Start dealing with and facing the things that that we're that we have to face in ourselves, and uh, I guess it's a blessing just to to be able to have them be made aware of us when the the time is right, and to have a program to um, to work with. There are so many people I see this in in friends that I have that I work with. Probably I know thinking of one particular friend I have now I work with who has hard times and how lucky we are to have a program something to to work with and to help us and I think we're very fortunate for that I think with that I'll close and say thank you again and hope you come visit us someday thank you thank you Nancy uh, I jotted down here a few facts about Al-Anon Worldwide and I hope you'll bear with me as I share them with you during the evening. Al-Anon meets in 80 countries throughout the world. There are over 17,000 Al-Anon groups, including 2,500 Alateen groups, not to mention the numerous lone members scattered throughout the world. We cannot be sure of the exact number of Al-Anon members worldwide, but it is interesting to note that in 1980 there were 438,026 copies of the forum, the Al-Anon Worldwide Publication, distributed. This was 100,000 more than in 1979, so we really are a growing concern. And with that, I'd like to call Lainey from Bathurst, please. My name is Lainey. And I come from Bathurst. Um, and my blood ran to my feet when I heard my name called. <laughs> I didn't expect it. But you see, I'm Dutch, as you may hear from my accent, and that's most probably why I'm called. And whether my... I think it has something to do with it, that I did come from Holland. Um, I looked for help for over ten years. Like, I always admitted there was a problem in our home, but I didn't know what it was. But I know there was something wrong in my life, and I wanted help. 
And I also know that I played an important part. And if I would have a proper attitude towards this problem, maybe it could be solved. But I didn't know what the problem was. I only know that my nervous system collapsed and that gradually it got worse and worse. And whenever I went to the doctor and asked for help, they always wanted to know what it was. And the only thing that I could say, yes, I cannot cope with my husband drinking. And then I asked, how much does he drink? And he always said, I only have a couple. <laughs> Whether it was a couple that big or a couple of gallons, he never said. But since he only had a couple, I was told that I was in Australia now, and if a man worked hard, he was entitled to a drink. <laughs> so I had to learn to cope with it. And I did learn to cope with it, or I thought I did, but I tried to adjust to the situation. And in the Ellen on book, it says there, with crises, that we do get crises in our life. We try to solve the problem, but we cannot solve. And gradually, the partner adjusts to the situation. And that is exactly what happened in my life. My whole nervous system collapsed. I've been on the psychiatrist. I've been to ministers. I've been to social workers. Anyone in the helping profession, I used to seek help because I knew there had to be an answer somewhere. But wherever I came, they said it was me, it was all in my mind that I was mad. And whenever my husband and I myself were seen together, he was so calm and collected. And I was a, and I was a nervous wreck, so no wonder that a man drank like, with a woman like that. <laughs> Nobody understood that maybe the drinking in the home was something that was destroying me. And this is something that I'm so very grateful for to Eleanor, because when finally, after so many years of searching, I, heard, I saw all this written in the Eleanor literature. But the very saddest thing that happened in my life, and it is really as a mother that I would like to speak, was that my son, from the moment that he was four years old, he started to steal and I knew it was not normal. But whenever I even there went to seek help, it was all little children still. But I knew it wasn't normal. And over the years, this little boy, he got very cunning and conceited. And by the age of eight years, my husband used to say he's more cunning and conceited, conceited than I am. And I honestly, he was smarter than his, than his father. And by then, his father was starting to gamble. And if anybody knows about gambling, they know about the lying and the conceit that's happening in it. But my son of eight was smarter than his father. I could not keep any money anywhere. I learned to hide it. But whenever I found a spot that I thought that I'd solved the problem, he found an answer to outcheat me again. It was like a cat and mouse game. In the end, I bought myself a little box with lock and key. But then he found the key. So, so then I had to find a solve that problem and I used to tie it to my underwear. But one day I, I was getting changed and I had to run for somewhere and when I came back he still found the key. He somehow always knew how to smell it out. But even then, even when I solved that problem and he couldn't find my key anymore, he could open the lock. Because somehow on TV he had seen it that you can open it with a hairpin. And even the locks were not safe. 
I went to the psychiatrist and I went there for over six months. Every fortnight I used to travel to this man. And he thought he was doing great with my son. Because, And then one day he said, I'm really getting through there. I said, do you? Last week when I came home, I found the stolen watches on his arm. And he had your cigarettes and cigarette lighter. <laughs> And he said, yes, you've got a problem there, haven't you? I said, said, yes, but what can I do about it? And there was never any answers. And one day, something happened in my life. It was in the the home. My husband was playing on me. I know my husband was in the kitchen, what was that side. And my son was near the bedroom, what was on that side. And I felt like a puppet on a string. If I wasn't reacting to my son, I was reacting to my husband. And I'd been to so many places for help. And I grabbed my head and I thought, if I don't get out, I'll go mad. And if I end up mad, who will look after my boy then? So, and that gave me the courage to leave. And I made up my mind I wouldn't search any more for help. I'd had it. I'd follow whatever was in my heart, and I'd start looking after Laney, and the rest could go to blazes. But somehow I had to find me again. And six months after I was on my own, I met a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I had contacted AA previously, but because I didn't have the drinking problem, I had not been able to get through. And I didn't know that you could go to an AA meeting if you were not an alcoholic. But this man took me to an AA meeting. And I will always be grateful for the AA in Port Macquarie who allowed observers in their meeting. Because even though I was not accepted, I was tolerated. But to me, it was as if I had come home. These AA members were telling the stories that had happened in my home and that psychiatrist has said that I was mad and I was imagining it. And then I realized I was not mad at all. All these things had truly happened. And then I heard about this first step, no matter what we do, we cannot get the alcoholic get sober. And then I thought, right. And I replaced the word alcohol with stealing. And I admitted that I was powerless over my son's stealing problem and that my life was totally unmanageable. And then I went to my son and I said to him, Listen, Arnold, I cannot help you with your stealing problem. And he looked at me and he said, I know you can't. As if he wanted to say it is about time you wake up, you old fool. And then I said to him, Right, Arnold, we understand it. This is not my problem, it is yours. So from now on, I will never help you anymore. I will always love you. And if you're in a courtroom and you'll be convicted or something, you go to an institution. I will be in the courtroom, but I will not help you, but I will love you. And somehow I think that must have been the first step towards recovery. Then I had my eldest daughter. After I left my husband, she started to play up. And I've never known a person who has hated me so much as my eldest daughter. And when she was 15, she ran away from home and she became involved with a person who was on drugs. And after she'd left about two years, by then I was in Al-Anon because after attending AA meetings for about six months, I was introduced to my first Al-Anon meeting. And I thought, how wonderful. And I started Al-Anon not for myself, 
but I started it for the other people like myself. Because I myself, I thought I had found answers in AA. But about after six months of sort of keeping Al-Anon open, I became an Al-Anon member for me. And by all the problems for my eldest daughter, she started to affect my youngest daughter. And all the resentments that my eldest daughter had for me were passed over to my youngest daughter. To keep a very long story short, I continued to practice the Al-Anon program, particularly hands-off, it is not your problem. Whenever I spoke about my children, Al-Anon members used to say, keep on going, Laney, it will work. At times they used to pass me the ODAD book for a message they thought they may help me. The message didn't always help, but the ODAD book did, and I kept on looking to find my answers that applied to me. But it did a lot to me that they had thought of me, that they tried to help me, and I was not alone anymore. And also for members who are, lone, are on their own and are lone members, whatever the forum did for me, I cannot describe me. From all the way from America, I used to sit with that book in my hand and say, I'm not alone anymore. People understand today. I don't have to go anymore looking for help and that they laugh at me and say I'm mad. I'm not mad and all these people know who I feel. And after all these years in Eleanor, I'm very happy to say that my eldest daughter who hated me so much, today we are the closest friends. My son, who had this terrible stealing problem, is a bank teller today. <laughs> and my youngest daughter is two years sober in AA. And I shudder to think what would have happened to me or to my children if I would not have found Ellen. <laughs> Three weeks ago, I got married for the second time, and neither would I ever have got married if it wouldn't have been for Eleanor. Another thing, when I left my husband, I called him a monster. But thank goodness to this program, my husband's drinking is worse, but he's still the father of my children. And even though he is very, very bad, Last Christmas he came to Sydney and my children spent their Christmas with their father and my youngest daughter who is in AA who wants so very badly to reach out to her father. She gave him a bottle of whiskey for Christmas and he couldn't understand that because he, <laughs> he expected a preaching from her. And she came home and she said, Mama, this is the best Christmas I've ever spent and I've never got along so well with my father. And this is what the fellowship that's for you, and I love you all. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Laney. I'm very proud to say that Laney comes from my area in New South Wales, Western area. The primary purpose of Al-Anon as a whole is to seek the best way to carry the message of recovery to families and friends of alcoholics amidst cultural and language differences. One of the ways we do this is through the translation of conference-approved Al-Anon and Alateen literature into other languages, among them Finnish, Flemish, Japanese, Chinese and, of course, Australian. I'd like to call Felicitas from Brisbane. Thank you.
Felicity or Felicitas from Brisbane. She's not here with us, all right then. Judy M from Maitland, please. Hello everyone, my name's Judy and I'm a very grateful member of Maitland Al-Anon. And uh, I'm another one that uh, wasn't born in Australia, but I'm an Australian now. I've got a piece of paper to prove it, which is more than a lot of you have got. <laughs> and um, uh, somebody else started to tell my story when... Uh, the very first time I went to a, an area, wasn't called an area assembly then, up at Port Macquarie, and she said, my husband didn't have a drinking problem till he came to Australia. She said, I don't think it was anything to do with Australia, it's just that the beer's better here. <laughs> and uh, the same thing happened to me, but I gather he had a drinking problem before I met him, and uh, he definitely had some odd personality problems when we were married, but then so did I. And we came to this country and uh, we went to live in Bathurst, would you believe? And um, um, I, uh, so I had the problem of my husband starting to drink and he was there six weeks before me and by the time I got there he was in full flight and uh, also living in a country town where they did think I was Dutch and believe me, you've no idea what things people will pull when they don't think that English is your first language. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, you know, mind you, I still don't know why he gave me bread when I asked for bacon. I didn't think my, my accent was that bad. And um, I really had a double problem. I had three small children and then four small children and then five small children. And I used to watch the other people coming home from work. You see, in England, the tradition is that the fellas come home and have the meal and then go out for a drink. In Australia, they go out for a drink on the way home from work. Well, fair enough, but I could see all these other fellas arriving home from work and my fellow wasn't arriving, you know, and I tried the whole lot. I tried the being nice and being nasty and the crying and, you know, I waiting for dinner till it was, um, you know, till it was all dried up or till the kids were too sick, to, too tired to eat it. And um, I also had the problem of cultural shock. I read a book called Future Shock, which said it's worse than cultural shock. Well, believe me, somebody said to me, but you were intelligent enough to know what was going on. But when you're living with an alcoholic as well, um, you know, talk about the insanity. I mean, I am now bilingual, but I wasn't at the time. And, uh, <laughs> and it, isn't, it isn't so much what you say as what you don't say or how you say it. I mean, when you've sat in waiting for somebody to come for tea and they don't come and you don't know why, and uh, it doesn't happen now, so whether I've, you know, I think I must be an Australian by this time and understand the language or something. But that sort of thing doesn't happen anymore. But it can be um, very upsetting and, and uh, you just don't know what's going on. And um, so I had the two things combined and I became very odd, very, very odd. I can remember we did a few geographicals. I mean, I thought, well, around... You know, around Australia, I've been around New South Wales a little bit, I think, in Corindai. Um, this chap said to me, well, in Australia, you know, you call people mum. And I mean, you call people mum when they're mum. But in England, you don't call somebody mum till they're on their old age pension, you know. 
And this fella called me mum and I said, either learn what my name is or don't talk to me at all, you know. And, of course, living in this situation, I did get fatter and fatter, and I did at one stage get thinner and thinner, but I've got fatter and fatter again, which is happiness this time. And I, um, I, uh, I think I could, you know, sort of tell some of the tales like everybody else. And, you know, but I, I'm glad to say that in Al-Anon, I have forgotten quite a lot of the before, and I don't remember till other people mentioned the, the before a lot of what it was like. But I can remember some of the things. I have to admit that I'm a few, one of the few husband bashers. And, <laughs> and believe me, that's not as funny as it sounds. My husband is a trained soldier, but he is only the same size as I am, so it's pretty game. I mean, I threw everything, you know. Mind you, now with that, I've, my sense of humour has returned. I would think it was funny when he was putting the high chair back together next morning. But, you know, not... Not in the drinking days. I had no sense of humour whatsoever. Talk about enjoying being miserable, you know. Now when I make people who are miserable, there's nothing you can do. Once somebody gets the miseries on, you know, it's been so cheerful it keeps me going. And that was one of the first gifts I got back from Alan on was a sense of humour. And I mean, most people who live in England have to have a sense of humour. And if you live in Manchester for any length of time, the weather's so rotten. If you didn't have a sense of humour, you'd never survive. <laughs> I mean, it really does rain every day. If it doesn't, it promises to. <laughs> and mind you, I did have a sense of humour when I first arrived in Australia. The first thing we had to do at church was pray for rain, and I thought that was dreadful. <laughs> I told the doctor in Bathurst, and he couldn't speak for five minutes because he'd lived in England for some time. And um, I've got so many things back. I had a, a child with a stealing problem too but um, I can remember I went to the psychiatrist and I didn't realise at the time I was too stupid or too dim or too wrapped up in myself or too miserable and he said it's like this dear you get contented calves from contented cows you know and I thought thanks very much <laughs> and there was anybody less contented than me at the time it's no wonder the poor kid was like she was and all of them and I affected all the children I, I definitely affected all the children and my um my um, husband, well, I took him to his first AA meeting, you know. I could still had my finger on the pulse, even though I was this miserable thing. And um, there was an account. Uh, actually, we read an article in, AA, in the Reader's Digest, and can't, to this day, I, we honestly either cannot find the one it was, but it described an alcoholic exactly. And I said to him, that describes you to a T. And I took him to his first AA meeting, and he did go in and actually he did get some sobriety then and um, and then somebody told me about Al-Anon and I'm an ought to join her and I thought it was the ladies auxiliary for AA so I thought, <laughs> so I thought perhaps I ought to join you know because my <laughs> I laugh too and it's not funny is it <laughs> and uh, But it's one of my things now to save everything up that I do silly and tell everybody so everybody can have a laugh, you see. But there are so many now I can't remember them and I should hate to tell you what happened between here and Newcastle and here, you know. And um, so I, 
Well, I joined and my husband was in um, AA and he was doing quite well and I was a very good speaker at the time. I was very funny and I had the whole program sewn up, you know, and he was in AA and, I mean, I didn't need to really to worry about this program. There was nothing wrong with me and he wasn't drinking. And then, but I really am very, very grateful because something kept me going and I don't know what kept me going but something kept me going and there were only three of us I mean we were really good the three of us we used to overrun the meeting time even <laughs> hour and a half and <laughs> but I, I'm one of the ones too that my husband got worse as I got better and I'm very grateful for that because I really don't think I could have handled things if he'd got, you know, if, I'd, if he'd got, got as bad as he did. But, you know, I began to wonder, though, actually, if I was working the program properly because, I mean, there's me and Alan on getting better and better and he was getting worse and worse. And, um, but, gee, there's some funny, th some <laughs> funny things, some strange things happen. My husband was doing higher school certificate and we'd, one of the bi other big things I got from... Al-Anon was to have good night's sleep, you know, and to be able to sleep through my husband coming home drunk. Only, unfortunately, he started to wake us up again, and I really didn't think that was on the cards. It wasn't so bad for me, but my son was trying to do a high school certificate, and he really wasn't getting a fair go. And I was considering having to board him out somewhere to give him a good chance. And um, just as I was considering it, my husband stopped drinking straight away, and things were going quite well. And the day after my son finished high school certificate, he picked up a drink again and started again. And I, then it got, seemed to get worse and worse. And, you know, you're at the stage, will I or won't I? Should I do something or shouldn't I? Or what or not? And uh, he got picked up for DUI again. And, uh, you know, he's in, uh, well, he, his job depends on driving. So, you know, he's going to lose that as well. And this is the second time, but I was handling that better. And I'm still thinking, should I leave him or should I get him to go or should I just take things as they come? And it was getting worse and worse. And a member in, another member came and she said, now, whatever you do, don't give up hope. Because it's when you give up hope that the higher power can't work. So I didn't give up hope and I just hung in there and as I said to somebody before I don't think I was letting go you know and uh, I got so tired I just had to let go and I couldn't make any more decisions I just sort of had to you know just had to let go and uh, my husband got transferred to Sydney and uh, that seemed to be the solution to the problem at the time but then of course I wasn't satisfied you know he got he went to Sydney and he got sober and then I'm thinking oh, he won't come back whereas before I was thinking I wish he'd go and uh, just at present I'm carless I think I'm had my feet chopped off or something because my husband got his license back came home on holiday and he had been home 24 hours and they've changed a stop sign round in the middle of Newcastle and he didn't know and he wrote the car completely off just a write off and he has a little pot pot motorbike and because I hadn't needed the car for work that particular day he'd taken the uh, motorbike to um, he hadn't taken the motorbike and he'd taken the car and he's coming back home and he wrote the car off and uh, I think I might tell the story in sequence because he came home walking I said where have you been he said well I wrote the car off and then when I got on the bus it ran into a car as well so I walked the rest of the way 
He said, mind you, if I'd been on my little pot pot, he said, I'd probably have been killed, and I had mixed feelings about that too. <laughs> I still think I'm going to need this program for many years to come. But um, <laughs> I think the th one thing I'm most grateful for is a is the return of my sense of humour. And the other thing I'm really grateful for is a very good relationship with my mother because she came out to Australia oh, about nine years ago and my husband was in the middle of drinking and I was in a dreadful mess. And um, she was coming out again and she was dreading it. And she came out and she said, and, and she said I said to her, you better come to Alan and if you're going to live with us, you know. And I mean, my mother's 70 and... Uh, she, and she, she came along to Al-Anon and she really enjoyed it. Mind you, she was about to put some people and tell them a few things, but they were very nice <laughs> of her too. And she thought it was an absolutely marvellous program for living, but it's so lovely. My younger daughter's been in pre-Alatine and then in Alatine, and she and Grandma are in the same bedroom, and Bill came home drunk one night. And apparently, my mother's saying, I'll kill him, I'll kill him. You know, just like me, I'll kill him. And... and, and uh, literally saying, now let go and let go, Grandma, let go and let go. <laughs> and uh, I really got unwell with my mother, but of course I always have a good, you know, good news, bad news. My mother was absolutely marvellous, but I was relieved when she went back. I couldn't keep up with her. Oh, we had to buy an elastic bandage because she ripped her knee in the surf, you know. They don't have surf in England. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I do come from a very funny family, and I hope... <laughs> I hope next time I see you I have really learnt that love to love my husband so that when he does say I might have been killed I won't have any more mixed feelings. <laughs> the growth of Al-Anon in many countries has been phenomenal, in particular in Central and South America. This is evident when you consider that these countries make up a large number of the 2,059 registered Spanish-speaking groups, uh, registered Al-Anon Spanish-speaking groups. Could you also spare a thought tonight for our fellow Al-Anon and Alateen members in the countries torn by internal strife, such as El Salvador? El Salvador has 22 Al-Anon groups and 7 Alateen groups. Most of the meetings are held by day as the members are too terrified to go out at night. The meeting places are changed frequently with members being advised of the rescheduled meetings through the cooperation of TV, radio and the local newspapers. How does that slogan go? Count your blessings. Could I call on Philippa from Singapore please? Hi, I'm Philippa and I'm from Singapore Al-Anon Group. Hi, Hi, I'm terrified too. <laughs> um, I think the greatest thing about this program is to be able to look out at all these faces. None of them hardly I know. And I love you all. And you're supposed to love me. And if you don't, you better do what the lady from Hobart said this morning and get back on your program. <laughs> so... Anyway, I've got some little screwed up notes here because I thought I might forget everything, and I have. Um, we had, we've started our holidays three weeks ago, and we went to, I've been in 
Alan on eight months and I was very nervous about leaving my home group and I was wondering what I was going to do when I wanted to pick up the telephone and ring my sponsor sitting down there and uh, who I could talk to and they said, don't worry about it, you'll be right. And we got to Auckland and the day after we arrived there there was a, a meeting on and we went there and all these millions of people were there, well, a few hundred anyway. And... Uh, Somebody said, where are you staying? And we told them, and they said, Don't pack your bags and come and stay with us. So we had four beautiful days with two lovely people called Chris and Russ. Russ is here from Auckland tonight. Um, so that was the start of a great holiday away from home. And uh, so we've sort of started our... 16 years ago, we started travelling around the world, but we saw lots of airports and pubs, and now we're seeing trees and grass and flowers and all sorts of things. Um, I think... Um, I know my program was working for me today, or tonight anyway, because when we were having dinner, my husband looked at the salt and pepper shakers on the table and said, gee, they're nice, why don't you pick them up and put them in your bag? And I, and I said, well, I don't have to do that sort of thing anymore, darling, but you can if you want to. So, so I know that I'm working my program or it's working me today, one or the other. Um, I think... Well, two things I've learnt that are very special to me in this program is acceptance and surrender. Um, accepting the things I cannot change and also the people that I cannot change. I used to want to be able to change people and I think it's nice to be able to just accept people, especially AA friends I've got because there's some pretty weird sort of people in AA and it's nice to be able to just accept them for their weirdness in spite of it. <laughs> And I've got some pretty weird friends in Al-Anon too, I might add. Um, um, and also surrender. And that was a very important part of this program for me because I never had any relationship with any God. I never had any religion. I never even thought about God except he was a pretty good sort of person to blame if I dropped something on my foot or I wanted something happen, my car broke down. But now I can see him in a different light. And... Um, just just every day simple little things letting go and letting them happen and they all seem to happen you know we we just happen to be here this is my first convention first of a lot uh, tonight when I first got up here I thought it would be the first and the last but I'm beginning to enjoy this and I think it might be the first of many in fact I think I might get off my program a bit and manipulate my husband to start proceedings for next year's in Easter and there was a lady in the afternoon steps meeting who said that from September on she waited for one day at a time for this week to come so I'll be waiting a day at a time for a year um, and when I did take a good look at this program when I first got into Al-Anon I realised that the programs for me and not for my husband who I thought was an absolute idiot and I was going to change, make him better um, it's for me and it must come from within me and I know that when I get cross or angry or frustrated with anybody, then I have to look into me. And I'm the only one who can do anything about that with the help of God and my sponsor, who when I said to her they've told, asked me to speak up here tonight, she said, so speak. That's very encouraging. <laughs> and my friend down there said, when you fall up the stairs, don't swear because you're on tape. That was also <laughs> encouraging. And when I told my husband's sponsor I was going to write some notes for the meeting tonight, he said, what for? So, you know, I've had so much encouragement today, it's incredible. <laughs> anyway, I think I'll end. Thank you all for sharing and I love you all.
very capable program chairman, Narelle, has chosen some very nice um, and very appropriate ODAT readings for tonight's meeting, so I'll just read one of them for you now. I can take strength and comfort from knowing I belong to the Al-Anon Fellowship with its worldwide membership all working together for the same purpose. Our little group is but one of thousands. What holds us together? Our many different nationalities and faiths? There are no rules and regulations, no management control, nobody to say you must do this or you may not do that. There is, however, government by principle, as stated in the Twelve Traditions, with which each member and each group accepts. Each of us is in his own way, each of us in his own way works for the good of the others. What binds us together is common problem to be solved by understanding and mutual service. Alanon runs like the little wheel in the old song, by the grace of God. I belong to Alanon. It is an important part of my life because it unites me in thought and action to people all over the world who share my desire to fill life with meaning and purpose. I do not know them, but they, they are my friends and I am theirs. The more each of us lives by Al-Anon's spiritual principles, the more we help each other, no matter how great a distance may separate us. I thank God for helping me to find Al-Anon, which is showing me the way to a new life. Could I call on Laura Ann from Foster, please? And she's not here. So could I call on Harold from Gosford, please? Good evening, I'm Harold from Gosford and very grateful to be here. Uh, the theme Serenity Nationwide. Uh, now that I've been in Alanon, I believe that serenity is a state of mind, you know, an attitude of mind. And I've had a lot of attitudes of mind. And uh, like Judy, you know, I, ca I came from Manchester too. And uh, I had the same feeling as Judith. Uh, you know, when I came, I knew everything and I didn't want to know anything more. Because I'd been going for months and months and many hundreds of meetings to AA. And I'd learnt this program and I suppose I should be call myself a loner at that period of time. Because when you go to AA, they're not quite as generous as we are. They don't ask you to speak. <laughs> and... Uh, Everything I read, the slogans, the steps, the traditions, the literature, the big book, I read and I interpreted, interpreted it to suit myself. And my attitude changed, you know. And I was brought up with a saying that to forgive is to forget. And I forgot the bad parts of my life when my wife was drinking. I forgot those because I wanted to forgive. And uh, I never looked at them. I only looked at what I read in the big book and what I read in the steps to my liking. And then a friend of mine, she sat here on the third row. She encouraged me to come to Al-Anon. And uh, I came rather big-headed. You know, I'll show these people how to live their lives. Poor women, they've suffered, you know. I'll show them... <laughs> you know, how you can live the good life. And I was sat 
rather hard on my backside because they showed me. And then my wife really upset my serenity. You know, she says, I'm doing something with my life because she was working hard in service in AA and I was just basking in the glory of it. She said, I want a divorce. And I thought, you're a cheeky devil, you know. I stuck up with you for all those years. You don't do this. You know, you're throwing a good man away. And she meant it. She meant it. So I came to Al-Anon, you know, and I got off my pedestal. And the, the lady that introduced me to Al-Anon, she did the dirty on me, you know. I, I, I joined Al-Anon, and the first night I was there, she made me GR. <laughs> you know, she, she, she really built my ego. So I tried to step down, and nobody would take it. I wanted to be, I wanted to be a new member, you know. And uh, my attitude changed again. I wanted to learn and I wanted to share with you the people that understood me, you know. And uh, my attitude did change and I, I got a certain amount of serenity. And uh, then I started going into service, in, like I took my GR serious, you know. Uh, anybody came to a meeting and they didn't stick by the traditions, you know, they were brought into line. Uh, the, the, the master said so. You know, and some people didn't like it. Some people didn't like it. I did. And then, you know, I found out that that didn't work. Nobody took any darn notice. So my attitude changed again and I lost my serenity, you know. And then I, 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 I was doing very well. And then the firm I worked for, they said, you're not fit enough to work. You know, you're a sick man. Go home and retire. And uh, I lost my serenity then, because I wasn't ready to retire. I loved, I loved the staying in bed. It was marvellous. My wife brought breakfast to bed every morning. You know, I loved that part. But I couldn't adjust to not having a wage coming in. I, I, I really came to the state where a lot of you ladies came in, you know, short of money. I'd never been short of money until I was put out of work, you know, until I was retired. So I lost my serenity again, you know. And I had to go to more meetings of Al-Anon. I, was, I started going to daytime meetings then, you know, with little babies, you know. And I was losing my serenity again. Now I'm deputy grandfather to three. You know, I've got it back with babies. I think I've, I think I've read bridge the generation gap because uh, you know I was toying we, 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 I'm afraid at, at my group uh, we used to sponsor an Alateen group and I'm afraid it's going down the drain we, we've got uh, two that come occasionally you know and I was uh, toying with the idea of uh, trying to round some more up uh, so I, the generation gap has come uh, a little bit closer to me you know I, I think I'm conquering that. But now I've bought a boat, you know, and when we, when we get too tied up in all of this confusion that I make, I go fishing and I've got serenity there. It's beautiful, you know, the central coast, we have beautiful waterways, it's warm too, it's not like here tonight. <laughs> uh, 
I can sit in the boat and I can forget. When I'm at peace, I have serenity. But as soon as I get off that boat, I've got to come back into this world, you know, and live. And I lose my serenity very, very quick. I have to do this program, that 12-step is the most important one to me. That little part that says, practice, practice this way of life. You know, I've loved it. I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've made a lot of fun out of it. A lot of the fun has turned around like Judith said and come back at myself. You know, people have laughed at me about it. But... It's my attitude that gives me my serenity. And I thank you, and I love you all. Al-Anon stretches the length and breadth of the globe, from the 12 Al-Anon groups in Iceland to the Al-Anon groups in Tasmania. We are all part of a worldwide organisation. And while your heads are still buzzing with all these interesting statistics, it would be remiss not to mention the 500 registered Al-Anon groups in Australia and the 80 Alateen groups. And I'd like to now call somebody who's come from a long way in Australia, all the way from North Queensland. Dulcie, please. Oh, isn't it dreadful? <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name's Dulcie and I'm a very happy and grateful member from Cairns in North Queensland. Mm. Al-Anon has changed my life altogether. My whole way of thinking and I'm very, very grateful for it. Um, when my husband first started drinking I didn't know anything about AA or Al-Anon and I'm afraid I went down very, very quickly and uh, I didn't know what what was happening because he was going out of late, staying out late at night, and I thought he had another girlfriend. Didn't know that anyone could drink all night, like you know, stay out and drinking. And uh, I'm afraid I reacted every time he came home. And we had some terribly unhappy years for. When then when I found out, as I say, that, you know, that he was drinking, we had three small children and uh, and so life went on and I went down and uh, I was just... I was just a step away from a mental home anyhow and then one day uh, a friend came along and suggested that I go along to Al-Anon. I was crying because my husband had we'd had a very bad night the night before and uh, my husband had broken nearly everything in the home and uh, I was telling her what a dreadful person he was and he really wasn't because he was really a wonderful, wonderful person and just the drinking that made him like that. And uh, she said, Dulcie, would you like along, come along to Al-Anon? And uh, I went along because it was just a night out. And uh, I didn't like to say no. And so I kept on going. But it took me eight or nine meetings before I got anything out of it. 
because my mind was so closed with my self-pity, my resentments, and uh, I just wasn't thinking straight. But then I've been a very keen reader, and uh, the members gave me literature, and so I read everything I could about Al-Anon and AA. And at last I started to come back to living a normal life. It took me a long, long time, but I gradually started and took all my faults. I found that I was... um, full of faults when I looked at myself when I started on the steps and uh, although for a long time I wouldn't read the steps, I read everything but the steps because I wouldn't take the first one I was ready to admit that my life had become unmanageable but I wouldn't admit that uh, I was powerless over alcohol because I thought surely to goodness somewhere along the line we'd have to be able to help your husband or whoever it was drinking I was, even though I heard members say that you know that you c- couldn't do anything but it took me about two years before I finally took the first step and after that I think the others all fitted into place fairly easily because I had you know I had read Alan on and gone to all the meetings I can I'm a widow, my husband died eventually from drinking and then he took to drugs and he passed away with a heart attack and I was able to accept that. I think acceptance is one of the main words in my, well acceptance is one of the wonderful words in Al-Anon because I was able through Al-Anon to accept him whereas before I was fighting the alcohol all the time but I was able to accept him then as a sick man and uh, my life became much better and uh, I was uh, able to uh, read then with an open mind and listen and I thought then when I joined Al-Anon I thought oh this is going to be absolutely wonderful because I'm going to be in Al-Anon my husband's going to be in AA but of course that wasn't to be because he never joined AA but I've got so much help from Al-Anon because I've got all the love in the world. I mean, I ca- we came up here to Queensland and I didn't know a single soul. And my husband was drinking and uh, I just stayed at home. And uh, oh, I just shut myself up then when we c- we'd have such... The nights that he came home full, as I say, I'd start to scream and then he'd start screaming and... I'd be so ashamed the next morning I'd be ashamed to put my face outside the door. And then when I accepted him as a sick man, as I say, things got much better. And I've got, I think when I first came to Al-Anon, I think it it was feeling that I belonged somewhere. I belonged and people needed me. And I think that's absolutely wonderful and all the love in the world. I've never known such love, I don't think, as I have in Al-Anon because we're members. And I think it's absolutely wonderful because even just the other day when I was coming coming away, some of the older members rang me up and wished me a happy journey. And they do that just, you know, whenever I come away. And then when I go back, I know there'll be a card on the table for me as soon as I walk inside the door because we always have our, me- we have our meetings at my place on Thursday morning there'll be a, a card on the table saying we missed you Dulcie and all the names will be there on the, written on the table and I think to me it's just absolutely wonderful through the steps and the slogans 
and the serenity prayer have helped me and I'm just a different person altogether because I think before I just took everything for granted and now since Al-Anon as I say I was saying it happens this morning I can see beauty where there's always where there's before I couldn't see beauty in anything and now I can see beauty in the little tiniest thing and uh, I've been to quite a few places and as as soon as I get to a new somewhere else I just get on the phone and ring and there's always someone there and uh, I think it's absolutely wonderful it's changed my whole my whole life my whole thinking and my whole attitude thanks very much are you aware that there are Al-Anon meetings in countries where alcohol is forbidden, such as Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates. Many Al-Anon members also live in countries where two languages are spoken, one such country being Belgium, with 137 Al-Anon groups and eight Alateen groups. Belgium has a Flemish GSO and a French GSO to serve their particular groups. Could I call on Susie from Mount Gambia, please? Everybody, I'm Susie, <clears throat> and I'm a very grateful member of Al-Anon in Mount Gambia, South Australia. I'm not from Belgium. I don't speak Flemish or don't, I don't speak French, but I come from Holland. I'm like Lenny, and um, I uh, migrated to Australia when I was only a, just a teenager, and I came from a big family, and there was no alcohol, and. Um, I was here about five years and I got married and um, this is um, going world over. I married a Yugoslav, an entirely different person from me. There was no alcohol, there was nothing, there was just a lot of violence and um, that marriage lasted for eight and a half years and two children and I had to remove myself from that marriage. Um, either that or I wouldn't have lasted long I have to tell you this because when I met my alcoholic I think without the alcohol I was already sicker than he was I had, let, had to leave this marriage and um, I was so incapable of doing anything that I ha had to leave my two children behind um, it was very um, sad for me and a very um, awful time. Um, I met my alcoholic and uh, I jumped from the fat into the fire. I didn't know what was wrong with him. He used to say to me, you're such a good girl, I'm, at least I'm allowed to drink. And, um, <laughs> and of course I thought, um, well, why shouldn't he drink? What's wrong with drink? I had no experience whatsoever. I had never drank myself. And, um, and so I didn't see anything that was uh, evil or, or wrong. But I can remember we went to Western Australia and uh, we were like fugitives running. And um, we got into this uh, fully furnished flat. But of course there was no linen or bedding or anything like that. So we got a job and the first week we got paid 
And something strange happened. He said to me, um, don't bother buying two sheets, only buy one. <laughs> and he said, well, buy a bedspread and that can do for the sheet on the top. And um, I didn't wake up. I said, well, he wants, said to myself, he wants me to buy it next week. He says, don't buy, bother buying pillowcases. We'll put the bottom sheet over the pillows. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought he was a very economical person. <laughs> anyway, while I was buying one sheet, he was buying two dozen down the corner on the phone. <laughs> and um, uh, gradually I started to realise that there was something wrong, definitely something wrong. Because, uh, you know, people just don't live that way. Um, we did a lot of geographical tours. We went here, there and everywhere. And, um, and we became car sleepers. We slept in cars. Not our car. <laughs> and um, and we, I slept for ten days in a car that wasn't ours and bogged in someone else's backyard. And as a matter of fact, it was in, in Sydney and Liverpool. See, I've been all over this country. Anyway, um, it got too much for me. By this time, my um, husband had sent my children back to my mother and my mother had sent them back to me. And uh, I couldn't cope. I had these two children that were very bitter towards me and uh, they just hated uh, my alcoholic. And, um, and things just didn't work out right. And I knew then there was something wrong, and I said, well, I'm going. And uh, he didn't think I, I could, you see, because I could never make decisions. I came from a back, big family, and it was always my brothers and sisters or my father and mother making decisions for me. Um, I was a very insecure person. I always wanted approval from someone else. Anyway, I, um, I made up my mind that day, and I was going to go. Anyway... He must have realised I was fair dinkum because he wired home to his parents for the fair and we went back to where we started off in South Australia. Things were getting really bad and I became a very, very bitter person and I was so frightened of failure. I had a lot of fear and I thought, not again, what will people think? It would be me, it wouldn't be anybody else. And so I stuck around this person, I put up, and I became accustomed to living with an alcoholic. And I went down and down and down. And I, I came from a very respectable place, a family, and, um, you know, nobody abused anybody. And so there was I, you know, going down and uh, losing my self-respect. I didn't know and didn't care in the end what I looked like. Um, I, I was afraid to go down to the post office to get my, um, my mail because we lived in a little settlement. About 300 people that knew everything about everybody else. And of course, because we were so close together, um, when Hubby came home and, and, and he started uh, abusing me, I opened up all the windows so the neighbours could hear what he was saying. 
And of course, then when it was my turn to scream, <laughs> they all came down. <laughs> anyway, he'd put them up. And he'd say, let him hear what you're like. But this insidious disease made me do many things. I then became pregnant and thought, my God, what am I going to do with this? And um, I went to the doctor who suggested an abortion and I hated him for it and I had it in the back of my mind all the time. Uh, I didn't go through with that anyway. And uh, I thought, well, I'll have this child because he's jealous of my two sons and he, he wants a child for himself. So I had this child... And you all know the story. Things went worse. Responsibility he could not cope with. And um, because I didn't understand anything and told him, it's only willpower. You're just so weak. If only you used willpower. Well, someone said to me once, Susie, try willpower when you have diarrhea. So you see, nothing worked. <laughs> anyway, um, it ended up with a lot of attempted suicides on both sides and, and um, three poor children torn in between. Uh, they didn't know whether they were coming or going half the time. And in the end, I became so bitter, I can remember my husband coming home one night and it was a cold, cold night. And I had the old wood stove burning red. And he came in the driveway. And I don't know how, I still don't know today, honestly. But he could drive 30 miles home, but he couldn't do five steps to the back door. <laughs> so I used to drag him out. And I'd get him on the laundry floor, and I'd chuck a rag over him. And I'd tell him a thing or two and say, stay there. But this one particular night he came in and he put his hands on this red fire and all I said was, burn, you bastard. <laughs> and that's really sad because that's the person that I had become. And um, it's supposed to be the man that I loved. Anyway, um, he promised me everything. He was going to give up drinking uh, because I was leaving, I packed my bags. And so um, he talked me out of it, which wasn't very hard to do because I didn't know where to go. My parents were miles and miles and miles away and I had no one there. And, um, and so again Susie stayed. And three months later the worst happened. He came home one day and burnt the house down. And of course there was nowhere to go, nothing to do. I didn't know about welfare. I didn't know about social security. All I thought was, if you go to the children welfare, they'll take your kids away. And so I didn't want to go there. But I had a very good friend. She wasn't AA or Al-Anon. She had no need to. And um, she helped me in the right directions. I had a house given to me. But of course, my husband was not allowed to be on the premises. He was a danger to society. Anyway... Um, that was the start for his move to AA. And he went to AA. And he went really marvellous. And one night he came to my place. And I thought, oh God, here we go again. 
but his eyes were clear and his face was happy and he said I want to share something with you that I've learned tonight and um, I said you can tell me through the flywire I didn't trust him <laughs> and so he stood on the front veranda and he told me all about this AA and um, I said well that's nice and the week after that because we're not as fortunate as some of you that have a meeting every night or three times a week we have one a week and he came back and I let him in and um, he talked about this AA and I really got something out of that and I thought that is absolutely beautiful and I said why don't you bring him home and then come Friday night and have a cup of coffee and so that's what he did and I used to get all the good china out and all the cutlery out and oh these people they were saving my husband you know hallelujah <laughs> anyway so um, about nine months after our breakup we went back together again and um, um, I couldn't cope I had prayed all this time for this man to take his drink for God to take his drink away and he did and I couldn't cope because I was the domineering person in that family and um, what I said go and anyway it didn't work he stood on his own two feet he made his own decisions and um, he became a person and I was still behind so I went to AA meetings with him like a, uh, a speaker before me that said something about going to um, AA and um, and I went to AA for 12 months and um, I liked it but something was missing and I felt empty somewhere and uh, this kind old lady come up to me one night at an anniversary and she said Susie do you go to Al-Anon and I said what's that and she said that's for partners and family and friends of alcoholics and I said no I don't and I lived so far out of town I had no um, chance of going anyway so she said here's some pamphlets take it home and read them and I read them and I saw my partner on every page because I didn't know it was for me and so I did this for 12 months and I was a loner I did contact head office and I wrote to people and I rang them up and I was a loner and I must have gotten something out of it because my husband had a chance to go and shift to Mount Gambia and we got a house and he got a job in a hospital and I went two days after I got there I went to my first Al-Anon meeting and when I got there there was about five women sitting around the table and when I came home I was ready to give my husband rat sack and he wasn't even drinking <laughs> and it was nothing but a gossip session and it was absolutely terrible and I enjoyed every minute of it <laughs> because you see I could justify all my mistakes and stupidity and then I met a beautiful person from Hamilton in Victoria called Bernadette and she said to me Susie she said grab it and hang on to it with both hands because you're gonna need it because you're gonna be a heart not to crack <laughs> and she gave me instructions all the time by letter by phone personally all the time anyway 
If something went wrong, I'd ring her up. I'd say, what do I do next? All right, so then I became the sheepdog. I rounded up all the sheep and I got bitten. And it didn't work that way. But I persevered. I was GR, DR, call it what you like. I was everything at once because I was the only member there. (laughs) Everybody left. (laughs) But I stuck around and here I am. And you see, I kept trying and I kept persevering and I fell and I got up again and I never used one time once as a stumbling block. I used it all as a stepping stone. And you see, I could cope with Susie's mistake and I got up again and nobody laughed at me. They all laughed with me. And slowly but surely, all the members come back again and we've got a lovely group. (laughs) And today I am a GR properly. And I love this fellowship. And you know, I can remember when my husband and I came back together again. There was a love of expectations. And if you have any idea of what love with expectations mean, don't bother finding out. (laughs) Because it doesn't work that way. You know, acceptance was talked about here tonight. Well, I learned to accept people for what they are. I too, you know, grew in Al-Anon and my uh, two boys, the two eldest ones, they went to Alateen for a while. But then I had a little bit of a sad story because one of my boys got on the drugs and uh, he's got a very, very nice brain, but it, it's slowly but surely deteriorating. He is really pulling himself apart and I can't do nothing about it but just love him. And um, someone said to me, give them enough rope, Susie, and they'll hang themselves. But what they didn't realize was that Susie was hanging every inch of the way on that rope. And um, I believe, as I say to my husband, you came into my life and my children came out of my life and they're part of me no matter which way they turn out to be. And so today I've got a big struggle. I have got one son roaring around the countryside in Queensland. I don't know where he is. And I have just come to realise that maybe too he's got the tendencies of becoming an alcoholic through talking with it about, um, about it with an AA member. And he keeps telling me all the time, that's what I used to do in the beginning. That's what I used to do. And you see, they say to me, have you heard anything from him, Susie? And I say, no, no news is good news. And they say, well, how can you put up with it? And I say, because I've got a God that loves me. And I've got kids that love me, even though they don't know it today. But they will, because when they need help and I fall to pieces, I'll be no good to them. But if they need help and I work my Al-Anon program, then by gosh, you know, I will be a tower of strength to them. And maybe then I can show them that I really care and love them. And, um, you know, I've got a 10-year-old and he's a real stubborn sort of a person. But he loves to have this little cuddle in the corner now and then when nobody's looking. And, you know, he is um, 
um, a sobriety child and, and uh, you know, when he was four years old, we took him to a meeting and we stopped before the meeting and he said to Dad, Dad, when I get as big as you are, I'm going to drink a lot of beer. And Dad said, why is that, son? He said, because I want to be just like you when I grow up. <laughs> so that was beautiful. Anyway, that's enough of me. I really en am enjoying myself. I haven't been here very long. But Armadale are doing a beautiful, beautiful job. And um, by the way, this detachment bit, I don't like it too much. My husband's in one block and I'm in the other. <laughs> It's, a, it's more like going my way, I think. <laughs> but anyway, we usually go somewhere together and come home together, but we're never together in between. <laughs> but I love this program, and, um, you know, I, I get a lot out of it, and, and I know a lot of people around here that I've seen last year or the year before or elsewhere, and we do travel a lot. And... Um, we haven't slept, I think, for about 48 hours, and we've been on the road about, oh, I don't know, uh, for sure 24. But we had a meeting on the bus, and uh, Lorraine and I, we sang all night, and we drove everybody crazy. <laughs> but we kept the bus driver awake. <laughs> and we sang all night in English, and when I ran out of songs in English, I sang them in Dutch. <laughs> I thank you, each and every one of you. Thank you very much, and I love you in a special way. Betty from Oakley, please. Thank you. When I first came to Al-Anon, I was full of fear, terribly anxious, and didn't know what I was going to do. I had lived with my partner on and off so many times it wasn't funny, and I'd learnt over the years that I couldn't live with him, and I knew I definitely couldn't live without him, and that was the state I got to Al-Anon. We'd had a lot of the same things that many of you have suffered, but I could no longer cope with the violence, could no longer cope with the money shortages, could no longer cope with the arguments. I just hated the life that I was living. I didn't like me. In fact, I hated me because I was a failure. I failed this marriage. I failed myself as a person. When I got to Al-Anon, I heard that I could live a day at a time and I had really honestly believed that I'd been living a day at a time because I'd been washing my walls and ceilings down a day at a time for a long, long time trying to forget the problems that I was living with. I was always happy to see my husband go away from me because I knew I was going to have some peace. That only lasted a couple of days and then I began to worry about what sort of trouble he was getting into wherever he was. And you know, police can come 
from your suburb telling you that he's in trouble from another state. And I was terribly frightened of this. You see, my husband came 12,000 miles to live in this country and I identify with the girls that have come from another country saying how strange it is to live here. Well, I just thought I was living with a madman from another country and you not, you know, I just thought he was a maniac. And why did, did they all live like that over there? Or was he sent out from there specially to get me? <laughs> because I was so, so afraid of him that, you know, he didn't want to come home to me because I radiated fear. And when I radiated this fear, I got another belting because he was frightened of my fear. He wanted to come home to a loving wife and I wasn't that loving wife. Um, I guess the greatest thought I had in my mind before Al-Anon was that he came 12,000 miles to punish me for all the Chinamen that I had killed in my last life and God had sent him here to get me. I started off with one Chinaman that I'd killed in my last life when I first, you know, when alcoholism really started to rear its ugly head in our lives. But by the time I got into Al-Anon, I was up to 12 Chinamen that I'd killed in my last life. And I honestly believed it. I don't even know where the saying came from. I'd heard it, I lived it, and I believed it. Thank God that there is a place that I can come to called Elanon, because I believe today that it has given me back my sanity, it has given me back my life, and it's just asked me to follow a few simple guidelines, a few simple rules. My mouth's terribly dry. <laughs> It's given me the tools to love again, and I hated my husband. I'd been in Al-Anon about 12 months when I first said to my husband, and I had to hide in the refrigerator to do it, I love you. The hardest thing in the world to me to say, but gee, I felt great, because I'd been wanting to say it for so long, but I'd listened to so many people say, why do you have him back? Why do you put up with it? I didn't know why I wanted to put up with it. I didn't know why I was taking another belting. And as someone mentioned tonight that they thought they were the only husband basher, I became very good at it too. And it's not something that I'm proud of. I thought I had a lot of patience. In the beginning people told me I had the patience of a saint. And I believed it when I was throwing him off the walls. I was teaching him to be a good boy. If he was coming home to Melbourne from Tasmania to live with me, he'd be a good boy for that weekend. And then on Sunday night he could go back and do whatever he wanted to. He's been all around Australia for a few months at a time and has come back. I never knew when he was leaving or when he was coming back. And it got to the stage where I didn't know if I was Arthur or Martha. It was most confusing. Today, as I mentioned before, I'm glad that I have got a little bit of sanity in my life today. I learned that through the, the second step and that was the most important thing in my life when I first came into Al-Anon because I desperately needed and wanted sanity. I knew that I couldn't stop my husband drinking. I knew that my life was unmanageable, so I skipped that step 
the sanity bit really interested me because I wanted it. And after a while, when I did get a little bit of calmness in my mind, I was able to look at the things that weren't manageable in my life. I was able to come down off the walls and ceilings. I was able to go to meetings and speak. The fear left me, and that took quite some doing because I had to keep repeating that first step. I'm powerless over alcohol to get a good night's sleep. I'm powerless over the alcoholic and what he's doing. And it was God grant me the serenity. I'd never knew what serenity was. And I said it because people at the meeting said it and it must have done something to them and I wanted it something to do for me. But I wanted to to accept the things that I couldn't change and I couldn't change my husband from anything that he was doing. And after I learnt that little bit, it was courage to change the things I can. And that's really where my life turned around because I could see with the courage that I could change me and I could change my attitude. And today I can honestly say that my life has really turned around I have peace in my life today. I don't know about a lot of serenity. I don't feel I have it. A lot of people tell me I have it and I have to trust them because it's only the Al-Anon members that have brought me back to life again. They gave me trust. They held out their hands to me and today I hope I can hold out my hand to some people that are coming in new like they did to me. They loved me back to life. In turn, with all this love from Al-Anon, I was able to go home from a meeting, trembling, saying the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity just to get through the front door and accept the things I cannot change. I was very fortunate. Somebody mentioned at a meeting to me, offer him a cup of coffee. And my God, that saved my life so many times. It was beautiful. As I opened the front door, my mouth was going. I didn't even know if he was in the room or not. Would you like a cup of coffee? <laughs> because it broke the ice. It broke the fear in me. They told me, don't worry about him. Worry about yourself. You're the most important person in your life. Today I believe that. If I believe that, things around me are much better. If I think somebody else is more important than me, then my life becomes very much unmanageable. Today, I'm grateful to the Al-Anon program. It showed me how to let go. It showed me how to let God do things for me. And in doing this, after about nine years of struggling, My husband has had 12 months of property, and that's great for us. He had about four months of sobriety when he took me to the first convention at Adelaide, and after we left the Adelaide convention, he said, don't ever ask me to come to another one of these bun fights. <laughs> and I had enough sense to shut my mouth, to mind my own business that there would come a time when it would arise that I may get to Armadale 
And you know, the miracle has happened that I didn't have to do one thing about coming here this weekend. Last November, my husband wanted to come. And that was great for me. It just showed how me how Eleanor really does work if you let it work. It only has to start with me shutting my mouth, minding my own business, and anything is possible. February wasn't a very good month. I was told that he wasn't going to take a bitch like me anywhere. <laughs> and I let that just ride on. Sure, I was huffy, not in front of him. But behind his back, I was very huffy, very hurt. But the miracle came about again. He came home one night and he said, I'm sorry for the way I've behaved. Would you like to go to Armadale? Now, that took six weeks to happen, but it happened. Not in my time, but I guess in my higher power's time. And it taught me a lesson. I reacted during that time to some of the things that were going on. But I never threw in about coming away to Armadale. And I desperately wanted to come. And I'm here and I've really enjoyed it. And I hope I can come to many more. A day at a time is so very important to me. And really it's just for now. And it's a great way to live. Thank you. In closing, I would like to say that whether we come from Loja in South America or Zimbabwe in Africa, we are all bound by the same 12 steps, 12 traditions and 12 concepts of service. I think you'd all agree that this evening we have truly shared serenity worldwide. I'd just like to remind you that the things you heard were spoken in confidence and should be treated as confidential. Keep them within the walls of this room and the confines of your mind. And now I'd, I'd like to ask all who would care to to join me in the closing prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you.